Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Have you ever asked yourself that? What was being accomplished? And how does that impact my life? How does that cross impact the world? So we're going to explore those questions as best we can over the coming weeks. And we're going to do that by looking at some of the pictures that the writers of the New Testament use to describe the cosmic shift that occurred when God in human flesh, Jesus, hung on a cross for the sake of the world he loved, which had gone so far astray. And what happened on the cross was of such magnitude, it was of such power, that the biblical writers knew that mere facts could never capture it. And instead, what they did was they reached for metaphors, for word pictures, for images, and not just one, but many. A little bit like a diamond, which I forgot to wear this morning. I'm still married to Chuck Shirey. Uh, But a diamond is so beautiful because it's multifaceted. There are many sides to it, surfaces, facets. That's why it sparkles so beautifully. Just like the message of the cross. We have to pick it up like a gem. And we have to look at it from a bunch of different angles, not just one, but many. This is what our teachers will be teaching over these next four weeks, and we're going to give it everything we've got because we love you. We love you. And this is a really important thing to teach right now. So a few things I want to say by way of challenge. Uh, Life is kind of scary right now, and we want you to know that we get that. But we also believe that the church can do hard things. And we want you to know that this series is not going to be easy. It's going to take a little bit of hard work on all of our parts, but it's going to be so, so good. And so we believe in you. Um, For all of you watching from home in your jammies, uh, my deepest encouragement to you is to get out some notes, get out your computer if you want, Uh, take some notes. Uh, You're going to want to. Uh, Get your Bibles out if you've got them with you. Uh, Follow along with us on our daily scriptures. Uh, They're going to be tracking with these teachings here in the community center. In fact, if you've read the daily scripture from this past week, it all is setting up the teaching I'm going to do this morning. Um, And we just believe the effort that we all are going to put into this teaching series is well worth it. So let's dig in for this morning. If I asked you, what is the core, the absolute core of the Christian faith, what would you answer? What is the very epicenter of Christianity? Let me tell you what the Apostle Paul would say if we asked him this question. In his letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, this is what he says to one of the first groups of followers of Jesus in the world. He said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And then to the church at Galatia, Galatians 6, verse 14, Paul writes, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross and what happened there is the center of our faith. The cross is the beating heart of Christianity. And on the cross, we see the nature of God most fully revealed. And I want to say, this is so important that you understand this. What was happening on the cross was the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we think about what was happening on the cross, we must not divide the Trinity in our thinking. Because when we do, we see God the Father as completely separate from Jesus the Son. When we do that, what we might do is we see the crucifixion, the crucifixion, as God torturing or abusing Jesus. Well, that's not it at all. You see, God is this inseparable, undividable community, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we cannot divide that community. So when we see Jesus on the cross, we must remember that Jesus is God. God hung on that cross. God paid the price for our sin. What God required, God provided. God's nature is always one of self-sacrificing love. The cross is the centerpiece of our faith. Now, why? Why? Why is this Roman symbol of torture, the central image of the Christian faith. Why is the cross the main thing Paul resolved to live and to preach and to know and to boast in? The cross is the centerpiece of our faith because there is something wrong that needs to be made right. There's something wrong with creation There's something wrong with the human race. There's something wrong that we can't make right in our own power. I do believe that there are times when this is made very clear in our lives. This happens to be one of those times. We need an outside force to rescue us. Because we are held captive by by a force that the biblical writers call capital S, uppercase S, sin. Sin as a destructive, deforming power under whose influence all human beings live. You know, and once you become aware of this, once you realize that sin is this all-encompassing power, you see it everywhere, especially in your own heart. Right? There's just this destructive force that seems to rule me. And you, if you're honest. It's what makes us drive to the McDonald's drive through when we vowed over and over and over that we're not going to go. It's what makes us look at porn, even though we love our spouse. It's what makes us want to hurt someone else's eight-year-old when they make the travel team and our kid doesn't. It's what makes countries institute things like slavery. 
It's why children go hungry in a world full of plenty. It's why we can't get a handle as human beings on pandemic infections, and it's why we turn on our neighbors, and so much more. But I want us to understand, if we're going to understand the cross, that we have to understand that sin is so much bigger and so much more insidious, meaning it's everywhere. It's so much bigger than just individual misdeeds. And humanity is enslaved by it. I'm enslaved by it. You're enslaved by it. And you know what else? Your grandma is enslaved by it. That's how bad it is. And we need something. We need someone to set us free. We need something or someone more powerful than the destructive pandemic of capital S sin. And God is that someone. God chose to use the cross to rescue his beloved creation. God chose to put himself on the cross to rescue the world and to rescue you and to rescue me. Because the truth is, no matter how hard we try, we cannot rescue ourselves. We can't set ourselves free. So like I said, the biblical writers try to use word pictures as best they can. Because hear me clearly, this is really important for us Western thinkers to understand. Word pictures, metaphors, images are often more true than just a bullet point listing of facts. This is why Jesus told parables. It's why Jesus told stories. It's why he could best explain the kingdom of God by saying, my kingdom is, is like a woman searching for a lost coin, or my, my kingdom is like a pearl of great price that a man sold everything to buy, or my kingdom, my father, is like a dad whose long-lost son finally comes home. And you see, you and I use metaphors, you and I use word pictures, images all the time. Uh, Jeff Mickey said this past week that he, he discovered that on average, we use one metaphor for every 10 or 15 words we say. They just flow out of our mouths like lava, like water in a flooded stream, like hand sanitizer at church, like toilet paper during a pandemic. You get my point, right? You see them everywhere once you start to realize it. Here are a couple of my favorites. This is just for you guys at home. To describe a woman's shiny hair, you could say, her hair glistened in the rain like a nose hair after a sneeze. You know that's funny, people. Thank you. <laughs> or to describe your bonehead brother. He's a few beers short of a six-pack, sharp as a bowling ball, three cents short of a dollar, doesn't know if his biscuits are all done, his elevator doesn't quite go to the top floor, he's two tacos short of a combo plate. <laughs> Stay with me here. So the biblical writers, I'm going to go back, back to the Bible, the biblical writers used all these different kinds of metaphors or word pictures to attempt to put into words what God did on the cross. And each of these images, these metaphors, can be looked at individually, but they also need to be held together to give us the best understanding of everything the cross means. And the other thing is, we can't squeeze each metaphor too tightly, or it will crack like an egg. We need to hold it loosely. 
as we look at it and explore it. And even then, we have to remember that at best, we humans are just seeing through a glass darkly. So let's explore just one of these metaphors together this morning. And as I said before, sin is what holds humanity captives. Uh, captive. We're like held hostage by the power of capital S sin. And it's this destructive force that runs right down the center of every human soul. No one is immune to it. It is a virus. It is an infection. And our sins, lowercase s, our misdeeds are simply the symptoms of this larger infection. And we need someone from outside of ourselves to heal us, to set us free. We're, we're captives to this. We're hostages. You see, what I've done there is I've mixed up all the metaphors. Uh, it's a strength of mine, mixed metaphors. So let's put the infection imagery aside for just a minute. Lord knows we need a break, just a moment break from that. And let's imagine, all of you imagine with me, those of you who are at home, imagine we were all together in a big auditorium. And... Let's just imagine we were taken hostage and a ransom is demanded for our freedom. And let's imagine one person comes to pay the price, to pay the ransom. And that person's net worth was such that they could pay the ransom for every captive, not just one or two or ten, but all of us. One person paying the ransom for all the captives. And what if the price that was demanded was not monetary, but, but this person, this person's life? And what if this life was worth so much that it could obtain the freedom of the many? What if... Jesus said, after his disciples were arguing about who's the greatest, biggest whiff of all time, Jesus said this to them after he gave them a brief talking to. John 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man, Jesus is talking about himself, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, in the world's case, just like in my imaginary example, the price called for, the ransom demanded, wasn't money. It was the man himself. As Peter writes, in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, this is from the New Living Translation. He says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And the weird thing is, the, the part we have a hard time understanding about this metaphor was that God the Father, through Jesus the Son, didn't pay the ransom to the devil, 
or, or to sin or, or to religious leaders. But I mean, who was the ransom paid to? And we, we may be pushing the metaphor, metaphor a bit too far here, and I, I know I might be in speculation territory. But it seems to me that to a certain extent, what happened on the cross was that God was paying the ransom to himself. That what God demanded, which was that someone needed to pay for sin and its destruction of the creation and the people that he loved, what God demanded, God himself paid. What God demanded, God provided. And that is why the cross is the epicenter of our faith, the beating heart of the Christian life. Because the human predicament with sin is so disastrous, it's so catastrophic, our captivity is so deep, so pervasive, that we couldn't be freed from it in any ordinary way. We just couldn't. And in the death of Jesus on the cross, we see God himself deciding to suffer the consequences of sin. God suffered all the consequences of our lowercase s sins, all the little deaths we bring into our lives and the lives of others through our destructive behavior. Broken hearts, broken lives, broken bodies, broken systems, broken policies, broken marriages, broken families, broken communities, broken governments, and on and on and on. All those little deaths God suffered the consequences for. And God suffered the ultimate consequence of capital sin as sin as this pervasive power. And that consequence was capital D death. God suffered the consequences of both sin and sins on our behalf. Jesus, God in flesh, not only paid the ransom, you see, he was the ransom. And because of this, We have been set free from the captivity that owned our souls and from all the kinds of death we experience. Jesus was the ransom. And if that doesn't make you want to fall to your knees in gratitude, what does? So then how do we live Right? It begs the question, how are we to live in light of this truth? Well, first of all, we are to live as if the price has been paid, as if the ransom has been delivered. I mean, that's just obvious. There's no more we need to do to gain freedom but to worship and to fully live into that freedom. We need to stop trying through religious behavior to pay the price for our own darkness, sin, and failure. There is no price any of us could pay anyway that has the power to free us. The only price high enough has already been paid. You see, the door to your prison cell has been opened. 
And your job and my job is to step through it. Step out into this glorious day. You no longer have to live as a slave to sin. And we will, of course, all of us, let's just be honest, we will still experience the destructive influence of sin in our own hearts. We still live in a world influenced by sin as a power. There is this now but not yet sense to this freedom. But each of us, because of the cross, can choose to no longer give our allegiance to either sin as power or sin as misdeeds. We can make that choice. The ransom has been paid. The door to your prison cell has been opened. We no longer have to lie down like a beaten dog and give sin full sway in our life. We have been given the power of God that supernaturally allows us to choose the freedom and joy of Jesus' way. And Jesus' way is always the way of freedom. You and I no longer need to live as hostages to sin and all of its lies and empty promises, but we are free instead to live as hostages to Jesus and paradoxically then to be fully free. Paul uses this statement all the time that we are no longer slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to God. And I know this is a weird paradox, but this is the Christian life. And anyone who's ever stepped out of the prison cell of bondage to sin or sins, think of an addict who's finally set free from their addiction. Anyone who has experienced that kind of imprisonment and then freedom will tell you it is the only way to live. So live as a freed person. It's the second thing. The ransom has been paid. And therefore, you and I are to live as freed people. We are to walk out of our prison cell. We are free from the guilt and the shame of being unable to rescue our own selves and our own inability to make ourselves good. The ransom has been paid. We're free from all our own efforts to kind of cover over our badness with religious behavior. The ransom has been paid. We're now free from any anxiety about God's judgment. The ransom has been paid. We're free from the fear of death. Every kind of death. The ransom has been paid. We're free from self-condemnation because the ransom has been paid. We're free from the heavy weight of religious expectations because the ransom has been paid. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And you know what we're free for? We're free to love. We're free to serve. We're free in this world of fear to live for our neighbors and to woo them, to woo them out of their own prison cells with grace and mercy and compassion and the relentless kindness of Jesus, which Paul calls 
the kindness that leads to repentance because Christ has paid their ransom too. And so every time you see the cross, every time you see the cross in this journey we're making from now up to Good Friday and into Easter, will you remember that the ransom has been paid. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, there are moments in life when the power of the cross is desperately needed. And this feels like one of those moments. And we as a church want to push past trite, feel-good sayings and Christian cliches that don't have any power. We want to push deep into the truth of your word and your gospel and your saving power your self-sacrificing love. This symbol at the very heart, the very epicenter of our faith that is your message of love to a dying world. And it says, I see your captivity. I know you can't save yourselves. I desperately love you. I will do anything for you. I will give up my glory in heaven and I will come down and I will rescue you and I will pay every price that needs to be paid myself.